Why does God whisper your name? Allow me to tell you a Christmas story. This first part written by Max Lucado. Gabriel must have scratched his head at this one. He wasn't one to question his God-given missions. When God sent, Gabriel went. And when word got out that God was to become a man, Gabriel was enthused. He could envision the moment. The Messiah in a blazing chariot. The king descending on a fiery cloud. An explosion of light. That's what he expected. What he never expected was a slip of paper with God will become a baby written on it. Tell the mother not to be afraid and to name the child Jesus. So Gabriel scratched his head. He was in for another shock too. The mother, the mother-to-be of God was not regal. She was a peasant with a crush on a guy named Joseph. And speaking of Joseph, what does he know? He's a carpenter, sawdust in his beard, apron around his waist. You're telling me God is going to have dinner every night with him? God is going to call this guy dad? It was all Gabriel could do to keep from turning back. But when God sent, he went. God sends angels to do things. They are messengers. They show up sometimes at the major intersections of our lives where we need very specific directions because we dare not go the wrong way. Big intersections demand us to hear someone whisper our name, call our name. Just as George Bailey needed Clarence AS2 at his intersection, so Joseph needed an angel at his. This is what angels do. They whisper our names in the cacophony of our lives. In the din of a swirling sea of voices that, like a whirlpool, spins our minds in curious directions, somewhere between ho-ho-hos and light shows, we need directions to Bethlehem. There are a lot of big sins. If I asked you to, to name a big sin, you wouldn't have to look far. You might look to the front page of the newspaper. Or you might watch breaking news on CNN or CNBC. But you probably haven't thought of this big sin recently or maybe ever. But I think about it all the time. It's what I call the sin of warm and fuzzy. The sin of warm and fuzzy goes something like this. I want to keep God in my box, or I want to make God like a teddy bear. I want to make the kingdom of God something that I can, I can get my hands on and I can direct in my way. I want to see things the way my vision sees things, not so much the way God's vision sees things, because I like things to be warm and fuzzy. I want to end up with a warm and fuzzy life, especially through this time of the year in this in this season so much warm and fuzzy swirling in the air and I see this a lot and one of the ways I saw this recently was in this clip from a show that's named the good place uh, hello everyone and welcome to your first day in the afterlife you were all simply put good people 
But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares? No one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. And you won't be alone. Your true soulmate is here too. That's right, soulmates are real. One of the other people in your neighborhood is your actual soulmate, and you will spend eternity together. So welcome to eternal happiness. Welcome to the good place. Sponsored by otters holding hands while they sleep. You know the way you feel when you see a picture of two otters holding hands? That's how you're going to feel every day. I feel warm and fuzzy. And that's not the way that it is. But the sin of warm and fuzzy says, that's it. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. It comes according to your plan, not according to some other eternal plan. Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And, and Joseph knew this. This was written down 700 years before he was even born. 700 years before Jesus was about to arrive, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. Chapter 7, verse 14, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. So he had heard this and he knew this but he never expected that this would happen to him. Maybe he dreamed a little bit of having a warm and fuzzy life as a carpenter, marrying his sweetheart Mary, and someday having a child and, and watching the child grow up and teaching his, his child to be a carpenter. 
maybe a son who could follow in his steps as a man of trade. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Isn't this a strange way to save the world? Matthew chapter 2. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Now the journey was about 300 to 500 miles. It's hard to tell exactly, but it's in that zone. It's like walking to New York or Boston, and all the way there's no 7-Elevens. Imagine having to walk. I can't hardly make it driving without stopping and, and getting something a snack or something, no 7-Elevens, and you're with a baby, so it's maybe going to take two weeks of walking and walking and going, and you get to Egypt, and you don't know anybody there. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Let me tell you about the, the power of Joseph's life after God whispered his name Number one, Joseph valued what God values over and above his own personal values. See, Joseph was trying to, to figure it out, and, and he knew the only right thing that he could do according to his values was to divorce Mary quietly, not to embarrass her. She could figure it out from there with her family, and then he could go on with his life maybe meet someone, maybe go on to fulfill his dream of getting married someday and, and having children. But as much as those were the values that he held fast to, he knew, he knew that when God was speaking to him through the message of an angel, that he would value what God values over and above everything that he had previously held on to. That's a huge shift. That's being at a major intersection in your life. Second, he was willing to risk his entire life on vision and faith. He was willing to put it all on the line. He's at the intersection of vision and faith, and he's got to say, okay, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to risk it all. I remember when Gail and I knew that we were supposed to to go to seminary, and that, uh, that the call of God upon our lives was to, to serve the church, to serve ministries. And we didn't know a whole lot about what that was going to look like, but we knew we had to go. And so I was accepted into a seminary in Portland, Oregon, 
And so we thought the best way to do that was to, to fly Gail with the baby out there. Ashley was a year old, so they got to fly. And I got to drive across the United States in a van with a Cocker Spaniel. Yes, a black Cocker Spaniel named Sam. And so me and Sam, we got to the first rest stop in Pennsylvania. I got Sam out of the van. He was sitting in the front seat, had pads and everything so he could see out the window. And I got him out of the van. Uh, Sam would not get back in the van. Sam said, I have had enough of this ride. Pennsylvania is where I want to spend the rest of my Cocker Spaniel life. And, and, you know, and he was like growling with me and I was trying to chase him around. Finally, cornered him, grabbed him, got him back and he stayed for the entire rest of the trip, five days cross country to Portland, Oregon. And so we, we got there, our, our lives now based on vision and faith. And I didn't have a job and, and we didn't have a place to live. And so what are, what are we gonna do? And uh, so the first Christmas comes, we don't have family there. And so we didn't have much, much money either. Uh, and we didn't, have a, we didn't even have a Christmas tree. And so I've told the story before about that, that first Christmas, the Christmas Eve night, the sun was going down, the mall had totally shut down and I was driving past. And on the outskirts of the parking lot, there was uh, a Christmas tree lot that the Boy Scouts had, had put up and they had abandoned it and they'd all gone home to their Christmas Eve dinners or Christmas Eve candlelight services. And so I see a few trees left scattered around the parking lot covered with snow, was, was snowing. I stopped the car, I got out, I looked at, at the Charlie Brown trees that were left. I took one, shook the snow off of it, put it in the trunk of my car, took it home and that was our, that was our Christmas Eve. Not a lot of presents under the tree. One present under the tree was a pair of pajamas that the Ladies Missionary Society gifted to me. They were nice pajamas. But you, never, you don't know sometimes when you, when you base everything on vision and faith, you don't know all the answers. We didn't know all the answers. All we knew was we drove 3,000 miles to the other side of the country and, and God was, was doing something. So we had to be willing to risk the rest of our lives on that vision and on that faith. And sometimes we have to plumb the depths of our faith, just like Joseph was plumbing the depths of his faith to know what God is going to do when he whispers our name. Joseph subordinated his will to a higher will. In the Lord's Prayer, we always say, on earth as it is in heaven. Joseph was living that out before his son, he was, he was Jesus' father on earth, before his son ever uttered those words on earth as it is in heaven. Joseph was living that out right now in real time. And he took full responsibility for what God charged him with. In other words, gotta go to Egypt, gotta come back, gotta find a place to set up shop, have to build a life, have to feed my, my family. He took full responsibility for what God gave him. And that's the power of his life. The power of Joseph was that he was willing to live God's thoughts by God's direction without earthly guarantees, heavenly guarantees, sure, but no earthly guarantees, but with full devotion. He, he totally put himself into that moment. He didn't hold anything back. We always admire people who, who give it all and step up to the plate. Joseph was that kind of a person 2,000 years ago. 
He didn't make room for God in his life. He made God his life. That's my summary of Joseph. He didn't make room for God in his life. He made God his life. God's always looking for Joseph's. And when he whispers your name, he's expecting you to make his will your life. It's kind of like Heath talked about Mary last week, and he talked about being available, believing, and remembering. And that's what a servant does. They, they are available. They believe and they remember what God does. And so that's the kind of servant heart that Joseph had. Let me continue the Christmas story. Luke 1, just briefly. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And she also probably knew about the, the prophecy of, of, of Isaiah 700 years before. And she never thought, well, that's going to be me. But she summed it all up in verse 49 of that first chapter of Luke. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Let me tell you about the power of Mary. She accepts the fact that her life plan is about to be changed forever. This was not her plan. And now this is the intersection where God whispers her name and her life will change forever in ways that she can never even, even imagine. She acknowledges the fact that God's power is the only power worth building her life on. Only God's power is worth building your life on. Only God's plan is worth being the plan that you have. And he's given you gifts and abilities. And he's given you hopes and dreams. And he's given you ways to explore life and adventures to have in life. But it's all according to his plan. It's all according to his way. Romans 8.28 spells that out so well. To those that are called according to his purpose. She honors her role as a servant of a greater purpose. She honors that role. She lives that role. She knows that her life now is bigger than she could have ever thought about. She is filled up by the fact that she gets to do God's will. That's what fills her up. It's her motivation for living. It's her motivation for getting up and facing every day. So let's think about that for who we are. We go to work in an office somewhere. Tomorrow morning, we show up in an office with familiar faces and familiar surroundings. Are we filled up with the fact that God is doing his will in us and through us today? Or we get up tomorrow morning and we have to watch kids and take care of kids. And some of them are our kids and some of them are grandchildren. Some of them are other people's children. And do we realize I am filled up by what God is doing in my life? Or now we're in retirement and, and we are grandparents. And we used to think about Santa Claus and believe in Santa Claus. And now we look like Santa Claus. And, and so we're, we're, we're at that point in our lives where we can give our, our lives away to others in a variety of ways. And do we, do we get filled up every day knowing that this is a day when God's will can be done in my life. I can come to church and God's will can be done in my life. That's 
the kind of person that Mary was. That's the power of Mary. The power of Mary is that she puts her entire life and future in God's hands at a moment's notice. She knows intuitively that the only things worth living for are those things God announces to your heart. She didn't ask God for her future. She gave him his future. Mary didn't ask God for her future. She didn't ask to be warm and fuzzy. She gave, willingly gave God his future. And we are here today because of the power of Joseph's life. That was God's power at work in him. And the power of Mary's life. That was the power of God working in her. And as they came together, they gave God his future. One of my favorite tweeters, I've mentioned her to you before, one of my favorite tweeters, and she, she tweets a lot, so I get a tweet from her almost every single day, Beth Moore, and she tweeted this just the other day, and it just like knocked me back on my heels. We've lost our theological minds to think it's enough for people of light to sit in the light, carry the light, show the light, preach the light, podcast the light, but not fight the darkness. It's like showing up in the ring, decked out, belted and gloved, and never throwing a punch. What would it be like to watch the movie Cinderella Man and Braddock never throws a punch? Wouldn't be much of a movie. There would not be umpteen thousand Rocky movies if punches were not thrown. And, and, and she looks around and she says, we sit in the light, we hear about the light, we think about the light, we pray about the light, and, and, but do we do anything to fight the darkness? John 1 talks about the darkness, how when the word showed up, the darkness could not comprehend it. You see, we have a great purpose, which is to, to be his light, to be the light of the world and to, to move into places and make a difference so that, so that the darkness is dispelled, so that the darkness has to take a quick exit because God has showed up in us and through us. This is what Mary began to understand. This is what Joseph began to understand. You know, Bob Goff wrote that book, Love Does. And there's four words that have sort of rolled down now into Christian culture and become part of Christian culture that really make a lot of sense. Love God, do stuff. You can pretty much base your life on that. You can pretty much avoid the sin of warm and fuzzy with that. Love God, do stuff, figure out what he wants to have done and, and, and just do that. Love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and do stuff. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared beforehand for us to do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Read it. Think about it. Throw some punches. There was a guy who decided to throw some punches back in 1904. His name is Sigismund, Sigismund Getz. He was a German artist and, and he painted some profound, 
paintings in his day and age. He painted this one that caused a sensation. In 1904, he painted Despised and Rejected of Men. It went on exhibition at the Royal Academy in London. And here, here it is. This is where he was throwing his punch. Here's society. Here's the society that I live in. Here's the society that I'm a part of. Here's the warm and fuzzy society that is surrounding us. And in the middle of that society, Jesus is being crucified. And nobody's paying much attention to it. Even the pastor's not paying attention. The businessman's not paying attention. The woman of society, of high society, she's not paying attention. And he was making a statement. He was making a, a political and theological statement. And this is what was said in 1904 about this exhibition. At the exhibition of the Royal Academy in London, the great canvas by Sigismund Goetz has created an artistic sensation, a powerful and terribly realistic presentment of Christ in a modern setting. The same painting could create the same sensation today. Who is even paying attention anymore. And on the pedestal, on the pedestal, there's a Latin inscription, Votum Deo Ignato, Votum Deo Ignato, to an unknown God. It comes from Acts chapter 17, where Paul is in Athens. And he says this, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Votum Deo Ignato. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. And so what was Sigismund Getz proclaiming to the people of his day and age? He was proclaiming Christ is in the middle of our lives. And we, we are called. God is calling our names. God is whispering to us at the intersections of our lives. And he's calling us to something amazing, to something bigger. And we're not going to get out of this life unless we understand who he was and who he is and what he came to do and why he came into the world to save you, to save me. So on the, on the lithograph, on the lithograph that was printed afterwards, after the exhibition, because a whole bunch of people wanted to buy this and, and hang it in their shops and hang it in their homes. Below the margin of the picture on the, lith on the lithograph is this inscription. Painted by Sigismund Getz, despised and rejected of men. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have everyone turned. We have everyone to his own way. And the meaning there is turned to his own way. Everyone turned to his own way. We have forgotten. We have forgotten that a baby born in Bethlehem long ago became a savior who gave his life for us long ago, became a risen Lord who said, I love you so much that I now call you 
by the power of my name into something that I will build. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We will push back the darkness. We will fight the darkness. We will not just hear about the light and pray about the light and think about the light. We will be the light. And when you accept me into your heart as your Savior, then you will live with me forever in my kingdom, a kingdom that has no end. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The power of Joseph and Mary changed the world. We must be like them. God continues to look for Joseph's. God continues to look for Mary's. Will you be a Joseph? Will you be a Mary? So he can build his future upon us. Why does God whisper your name? He whispers your name because he wants for you to become what he needs you to become. And he wants the future He wants the world to know a Savior, Jesus. This is such a strange way to save the world. See, a Christmas story is that somewhere, somewhere between the ho-ho-hos and the light shows, we all need directions to Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary got to Bethlehem and they call us to meet them there for the birth of a Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, guide us as we go through these days with so many lists and so many places and so many parties and so many events and so many things and guide us in the great wonderful grand celebration of a savior being born in Bethlehem long ago father allow us to celebrate that in joy allow us to sing the carols with great joy allow us to embrace our friends in the warm and tender spirit of the season and yet father Allow us not to miss your whisper. Allow us not to miss the call of your voice that calls us into your Christmas story, that calls us into the creation of your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Father, allow us to be like a Joseph. Allow us to be like a Mary, not asking you for our future but giving you your future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.